Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. As Cassini begins its farewell to the solar system, we find out about some more interesting facts. There are lakes on Titan, but what is happening on the surface and what can we learn from fizzy drinks and the oil and gas industry about what might be going on there? Plus, some beautiful rings, no, not around Saturn, but by around a centaur, one of the mysterious objects lurking in our solar system. One of the difficulties with space exploration is that despite the huge distances, freezing cold, complicated observations and intricate machinery that's required, the biggest challenge really is that it just takes so long to get anywhere. But when you get there, you have to be prepared to do an awful lot and keep going no matter what happens. And that's pretty much been the case for the space mission that began in 1997 with the launch of the Cassini-Huygens probe, which travelled to Saturn and got there in around 12 years ago, around 2004, and has been there ever since, slowly but surely, surveying this planet to an incredible amount of detail, dropping a lander into the atmosphere, which was the Huygens mission, as well as observing all the various moons of Saturn on a fantastic level of detail, flying through volcanic eruptions, trying to pierce beneath the icy frozen surfaces of moons and uncovering a tremendously fantastically blue cold spot raging storm atop Saturn's pole. Now, Cassini mission has yielded a lot of fascinating data. But unfortunately, like all good things, it must come to an end. And we started that slow but inexorable march towards the end now this week, where Cassini put itself into a very, very risky, dangerous and fascinating orbit. It's going to go out in a blaze of glory probably by about September 15, slowly but surely taking closer and closer orbits and passes to Saturn until it eventually falls into it. And the reason why they've done this is they wanted to crash it into the atmosphere of Saturn to prevent it from potentially contaminating one of the moons, such as Encladius or Titan, which might have life on them. So it's a noble sacrifice. But what it's doing in this sacrificial period before then is diving in and out of the rings of Saturn in a beautiful dance and one that is both immensely high risk but also high reward because we're seeing new things, learning new things about these rings as we fly within a thousand kilometers of them, just threading the needle between Saturn and its rings. Now, we'll talk more about these wonderful discoveries of Cassini, especially as we get closer to its next world demise in September. But just remember now, that it's had a good run, a 20-year mission, and it's going out doing what it loved, peering closely into the mysteries of the Saturn systems. As you may recall from the big shake-up that occurred years ago, there are many things in our solar system. There are, of course, the planets that we know, Sol, our star, but also there are a whole bunch of asteroids and objects 
in the Cupia belt, closer in, in the asteroid belt, the Jovian asteroid belt, the Trojan asteroid belt. And we have given these things names. We basically have dwarf planets, which are small planets like Ceres, like Pluto. But we also have uh, minor planets, which are, aren't really large objects, but, but they have stable orbits, which make them a planet, so to speak. They're just not very important or great ones. And for the ones that inhabit certain regions, we give them, we give them names. So if things that live inside the Cupia belt or the Oort cloud objects or the things that live out past near Sedna, the Sednoids, we give them different type of names to classify them. You know, um, the trans-Neptunian objects are basically ones that outpass Neptune really far out at the edge of our solar system. These are things that live in the Cupia belt, for example, where all the comets hang out and stuff like that. But there's a whole bunch of minor planets, asteroids, really, uh, that orbit and orbit strangely uh, between the... Neptune and maybe Jupiter in this sort of weird region. We call these cis-Neptunian objects. Um, and there's a particular group of them we call the centaurs. And the centaurs exist between Saturn and Uranus, just diving in and out of the orbit of Uranus most of the time. And we name these centaurs because basically that's one of the groups of the mythological creatures that we name regions of space after. So these wandering asteroids, one of them is very, very fascinating because like the diving between the rings we just heard about in Saturn. A small, tiny dwarf planet, uh, basically 232 kilometers long, or minor planet, um, named Shariklo, which was discovered in 1997, which wanders between Saturn and Uranus in this weirdly shaped orbit, actually has a stunningly beautiful ring. Now, through observation in 2013, we revealed that Shariklo had two rings, uh, which are about... 400 kilometers in radius which is phenomenal and the width of these rings are about seven kilometers wide which is quite large and in fact it's both the smallest object in our solar system that actually also has a ring now plenty of other objects in our solar system have rings jupiter has a ring neptune uranus and saturn all have rings saturn's is the most notable because it looks the most beautiful and as large and complex, intricate system of rings of, I think, over 30 or even more. But Shariklo, this tiny little 200-kilometer planet, has a 400-kilometer wide ring. And researchers from Japan, in particular, the Kyoto Women's University slash University of Tsukaba and the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan, have been performing modeling and simulation of the various rings around this tiny little wandering centaur, Shariklo. And they basically built a computer simulation of these rings based on what we know about it from such a distance away. It's very difficult for us to go out and visit Chiriclo, so we can't really do it ourselves. But thanks to building an intricately complex computer model, we can actually find that by calculating the individual motions of 345 million different ring particles of various size, from giant and microscopic to meters large, and allowing for the collisions and the behavior between them, they built up a very, very accurate model of these ring systems. In fact, it's the first ring system simulation that we've actually ever performed, which is really, really important for things like Saturn as well. But what they found is that because of this, uh, the objects in their ring, and the fact that it's got such a weird mass compared to the mass of the very tiny thing it's orbiting, they found that uh, 
it forms self-gravity wakes, which results in weird stripy patterns in the rings. But basically, the ring is leaving a wake for itself amongst the orbit of the ring. So basically, it's causing streaks to occur in the ring. And the problem is, this ring will eventually break up, and scientists estimate between 1 to 100 years, which is an incredibly short period of time. But it just goes to show we've managed to catch a glimpse of a wonderful ring system, such as it exists in the fleeting moment of time. And by learning a lot about this ring system around Chiriklo, we can learn a lot more about what it takes to have a rings around Saturn Uranus or any other system. And this is some great work being done out of Japan by Dr. Shugo Michikoshi and Professor Ichiro Kobuko, who have been f building an intricate model of ring system so that we can learn more about our fellow winged brethren inside our solar system. One of the most beautiful parts about the Cassini mission has been learning about Titan. And Titan we've thought about for a while because we think it's one of the chances for life to emerge outside of Earth. That's one of the reasons why Cassini is going on this crash and burn mission to avoid contaminating something like Titan. It is, after all, Saturn's largest moon and home to a sea of methane or other hydrocarbons. And it's phenomenal because we can observe this sea and over research over many years with data from the Cassini probe, scientists have been able to piece together the fact that not only are there seas of methane on Titan's surface, there's also islands or what appears to be like islands that exist on the surface, such as it is, of this planet. And this has baffled researchers because because Titan is clouded by thick, dense atmosphere of organonitrogen haze that makes it appear quite orangey-yellow, basically because of the refraction of the lights. But it's, it's phenomenal because it has what we know effectively as a water cycle, but with methane, which is fascinating and yields to potentially there being some form of life there, or at least being printers of liquid hydrocarbons, and any liquid we, we believe may be leading to life. And there have been several cyanovolcanoes or cryovolcanoes, liquid nitrogen volcanoes found there, which are also quite interesting. But when you pierce beneath the atmosphere with radar, you find these lakes and strange other things lurking beneath the surface. And when you think about all these lakes, that, that's great. I mean, it's very hard to study, but... By having used radar on the Cassini mission, we could build a global map of Titan. But the problem is that the surface of Titan is complex, ever-changing, fluidly processed, and geologically very, very young. Which is very strange, considering that Titan has been around since the formation of the solar system billions of years ago. So, if the surface is between 100 million and a billion years old, but the solar system is much, much older than that, then what is happening to the surface of Titan? All of these mysteries have led to scientists building together some intricate models of it. 
based on the understanding that Titan has lakes and inland seas and various other things we can piece together from the radar images, a team of researchers from several institutions across both France and Mexico have been piecing together what they think is going on here. And led by Daniel Cordier, Fernando Garcia Sanchez, Daimler and Justo Garcia, and Irad Ligio Belair, have been trying to understand why this land surface could be so young. And they built, based on the data from Cassini and the radar imagery and other data we have, they gathered that all together and built an intricate computer model. And they paired that with what they know from oil and gas companies here on Earth that can tell actually scientists about well, how things like gas behave under great pressure underneath the Earth. Now, after all, oil and gas companies are pretty much the experts in the weird and strange behaviour of hydrocarbons on Earth, so what can they tell us about Titan? And pairing these two things together, what they've actually learned is that there could be a really, really simple explanation for why the surface of Titan appears to be so young. Now, Titan could have tides, winds, or even changes in atmospheric pressure, which would cause the nitrogen in the atmosphere to mix with the methane from the surface, and this would push down into pools of ethane puddling into the seas that we see. But the problem is, as soon as you get this variety of gases mixing and being forced to mix at various pressures into various depths, you end up with nitrogen gas bubbles. Now, these gas bubbles would be pushed down and moved around by all these big macro-level changes. And then, slowly but surely, because they're so light, they would rise back up to the surface. Much in the way that you submerge an ice cube underwater with your finger, eventually it will just pop back up to the top because of the trapped air inside and the lighter density it has than the rest of the liquid water. Now, this would be very, very interesting because these nitrogen gas bubbles would just generally move and make their way through and up and down the surface. And that would help explain why the Cassini space probe showed islands on the moon's surface and in these lakes disappearing and reappearing over time. It's not because the surface itself is necessarily changing in a way that we'd like to think about it. It's more complex than that. It's not a flat, fixed surface like we have here on Earth that moves very, very slowly. It's a rapid, dynamic, fizzing and bubbling surface where these bubbles float up and down depending on the density and the pressures around them in the atmosphere and on the surface and the oceans. But also, if those bubbles burst, well then, all of that, what's holding it up, might escape and it would sink back down again. And this incredible complex movement with bubble streams and other atmospheric or even surface level turbulence could explain the really, really strange behaviour we're seeing there. And it's a great way of putting together what we know about hydrocarbons behaving under pressure here on Earth in the oil and gas industry to be used to help explain the mysteries of Titan. Now, this is a model and a theory that we have so far but Titan is one of those places that we are going to go back to after this Cassini mission. Other missions are being designed as we speak. And if we want to go to Titan, we really need to understand what is on the surface, because we do want to get there. And if it's going to be a complex, bubbling, fizzing sea, or even land that we land in, well, we're going to have to think very carefully about what we design our space probes to be like. So this is some great research which is recently published in the journal Nature Astronomy, about bubbles in this sea of hydrocarbons. 
and what that can help us design a smarter and better space probe in the future. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Beginning the long goodbye to Cassini, plus what we can learn about Titan and its strange and behaving surface, as well as the mysterious objects that lurk in our solar system and also have rings. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.